Chris Genevieve has been a friend for a long time. He's one of our share partners. Uh, he served for over 20 years at the Baptist Student Ministry of University of North Texas. Now he's leading up uh, collegiate ministry for the state of Texas and teaching at Southwestern Seminary. I know you'll enjoy hearing what he has to say. Y'all welcome Gary Stidham. Awesome, awesome. Thank you, Stu. Honored to be with you, Southcliff. Really honored to be here. Your church has been a key ministry partner for the ministry I've led at UT Arlington for the last 20 years. And uh, I'm honored to be here during Share Week. I really hope that every one of you will participate in the emphasis that Stu's got going this week. Uh, we like to tell our students that every week is a mission trip to campus. And I love the phrase mission trip to Fort Worth because that's what we should always be as missionaries. Well, uh, for the last 20 years, I've led a campus ministry at UTA called Baptist Student Ministry. Your church is a financial partner. I'm grateful for Stu for being supportive of us, both financially and just practically. You, one of the best things you guys have done is you've shared students with us. Uh, Nathan, uh, the, the, the whole Binky family we love and know really well, but um, Hannah Binky was on our staff. Evan Binky was one of our former students. They're both journeyman missionaries and Western and Eastern Europe now. Uh, one of my dear friends, Jeremy Spray, is a former staff member at our ministry, then went to be a journeyman, now part of your church. So we love the, the cooperation for the gospel that we have between the work I've been able to lead. Um, I brought a photo of my family to introduce you to us. This is the Stidham clan. Um, my wife, Teresa, serves on our team, our missionary team at UTA. She's been there for 15 years out of my 20. And we have two college-age sons. Josh is a senior at Rice University in Houston. Ben is a freshman at UT Dallas. So we are five weeks into being empty nesters. Pray for us. Well, the message Stu asked me to share with you this morning, I've titled, More Ready than we realize. More ready than we realize because people in your communities, in your family, in your workplace, may be more open to the gospel than you think they are. We're going to see the story from John chapter 4 of a woman who was more open to the gospel than the Jews thought she was, should have been. Let me tell you a story about evangelism though. My youngest son, Ben, Got a job this summer to save money for college working as a Sonic car hop. God bless Sonic car hops in August in Texas with the cold drinks and the Route 44s. But as he worked this summer at Sonic, I learned two things about Sonic car hops. Number one, they depend on tips to make ends meet. They don't quite get paid minimum wage, so tips push them up above. So it's good to tip your Sonic car. It doesn't have to be a huge tip, but give them a little something, something. The second thing is when your kid works at Sonic, there's always a story to tell of what happens at Sonic, especially the late night shifts, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock. I'd love to share some of those, but I can't share a lot of them in church. But let me share two stories of well-meaning Christians attempting to evangelize their Sonic car hop, namely my son. He told. And so these are true stories from this summer, one week midsummer this summer. An unfriendly middle aged person had a nine and a half dollar order, gave my son a $10 bill, and said, Keep the change. 
a 42 cent tip. Now that's actually a fine tip. He would have been happy with that tip. But it didn't stop there. Because they also gave my son this one million dollar bill. Can you believe it? A million dollar bill. Have you seen these though? You flip it over and what's on the back? It's a presentation of the gospel, the Christian message. And it's actually pretty good. It's a clear presentation. It's accurate. I, I could I believe everything on this piece. But it came from an unfriendly person who left a 42 cent tip. So my son takes his million dollar bill as the first time he had ever seen one. He walks in to the, the uh, kitchen in Sonic. The car hops are there. And he said, guys, look what I got. And he holds it up. And one of the car hops said, oh, is it the Jesus one? And he said, yes. And all the other car hops just kind of nodded knowingly because they had all gotten the million dollar bill at one point or another. Second story. <clears throat> My son brings food order out to an older gentleman who's a regular at Sonic. And he has a good reputation for just being kind to people. Shows up a lot and he's kind. And he had an almost $10 order and he gives my son exact change. $9.23, whatever it was, coins and everything. And an extra $10 bill. Now, $10 at Sonic is a heck of a good tip. And he hands it to my son. And before he walks away, he says, hey, hold on. I really want you to know that Jesus loves you. And I hope you have a great day. And he rolls up his window and he drives off with his food. Now, which one do you think made a better impression on my son who loves Jesus? He had a personal revival in his life this summer. He's wanting to start sharing his faith. Which one of the two do you think made a more positive impression on my son? Well, it's obvious, right? So what's the moral of the story? Tip your son at car hops. <laughs> Especially if you have a Jesus fish on the back of your car. But seriously, two well-meaning Christians both felt a duty to share Christ. But which one did it in a more helpful way? May we be helpful and not hindrances to people seeing Christ. Southcliffe, here's the most important fact in the universe. Nothing matters more than knowing Jesus. Nothing matters more than knowing Jesus. He is the treasure hidden in a field. He's the pearl of great price. He's the king of kings. He's the savior of the world. He's the one who rights every wrong. And if you haven't surrendered your life to him, you can. Even today, he's worth it. But second only to knowing Jesus is helping others know Jesus. So this morning, Stu asked me to share about evangelism. And I have a confession to make. I'm not a great evangelist. I'm not great at sharing my faith. So you're like, oh, great. Why is this guy even here this morning? But I struggle. I struggle with fear, struggle with insecurity, motivation. But 11 years ago, our little missionary team at UT Arlington, leading student ministry there, 
got to see a move of God. And about 11 years ago, a student-led movement praying for the lost turned into students having boldness, sharing with their friends and classmates, which turned into a little over 10 years ago, God saving at least one student per week, every week for a decade now. That first year, first week, four students met Christ. Next year, two students. Next week, two students. Next week, three students. Over 80 students in a one school year from one little student ministry met Jesus. The next year, we thought, God, you did it last year, but our faith is small. We don't know if you'll do it again. And he did. And the next year, he did. 50 students met Christ. This past school year, we saw 57 students profess faith in Jesus. Last week, two on our campus met Jesus. But here's the thing. The people leading those young men and women to Christ weren't seminary-trained evangelists. They weren't super missionaries. They weren't super Christians who had halos and just their feet never quite touched the ground. They were just ordinary men and women, young, ordinary Christians, normal if you met them. But they made witness a priority, and they, got to, they get to see God save their friends. The church historian Michael Green, in his book, Evangelism and the Early Church, said, quote, the explosive growth in the early church was in reality accomplished by means of informal missionaries. That is, Christian lay people, not trained preachers and evangelists, they shared with their circle of influence and it turned the world upside down. Our passage this morning, John chapter 4, Jesus is going to use the phrase, open your eyes. The fields are ripe for harvest. You see, our eyes don't have faith and we think our neighbors, our friends, our co-workers aren't interested in the gospel, but we can believe our lack of faith are the words of Jesus. People are far more ready than we realize. So the message this morning, church, Southcliff, we can do this. The world needs us to share Christ. Herbert Locklear says evangelism is the lifeblood of a church. We either evangelize or we fossilize. Imagine if every member of Southcliff didn't become totally new people, but if every one of us just became 10% more open to sharing our faith, 10% more bold in starting a conversation, 10% more brokenhearted for the lost around us, if a few hundred of us just made it a little more of a priority, what could God do? And the thing is, folks, it's our job. Jesus didn't give the Great Commission to stew. He gave the Great Commission to us. So in John chapter 4, Jesus engages an unlikely convert in a spiritual conversation. She was the least likely person to trust Christ as the Savior. She was a non-Jewish Samaritan woman in an illicit relationship. But let's take a look at how Jesus engaged her. John 4, verse 1. 
Now, Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. I love that they baptized. See, Jesus, he was the Messiah, but he equipped ordinary people as ministers of the gospel rather than doing it all himself. See, it's not Carol's job. It's not Southcliffe staff's job to reach Fort Worth. It's all of ours. Verse 3, so he left Judea, he went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. And you may know this story. You may know that he didn't have to go through Samaria. In fact, highly religious Jews would avoid going through Samaria when they went from Galilee in the north to Judea in the south, where religious Jews lived, Samaritans were people who had turned their back on the worship of the true God. They claimed to worship God, but they had twisted and perverted its religion. So religious Jews would go around Samaria to avoid becoming ceremonially unclean. But the Spirit of God compelled the Son of God to go through Samaria. He had to go through Samaria. See, God leads us to opportunities when we listen to him. Verse 5 So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near a plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. I love that it shows Jesus was tired. It showed that he was, yes, God, but also human. The fact that he was both of those things meant he was able to save humanity. Verse 7, when the Samaritan woman came to draw water... Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. Verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And John gives the context for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Notice that Jesus was two things. He was One, unusually kind. See, Jews shun Samaritans, but he spoke to her. So he was unusually kind. And two, he asked questions. He led with a question. He didn't lead with a gospel presentation. He just engaged her in a conversation. See, good evangelism is driven by questions, not me telling a person who doesn't want to hear something that I'm not sure I want to share. Good evangelism is me exploring the soul of another person. And Jesus starts with a question. Verse 10. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where are you going to get this living water? She fires back at him. Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock. I love that the woman is willing to push back on Jesus. See, sometimes we're terrified. If I get into a spiritual conversation, what if they ask me a hard question? What if they don't like my tone and it turns into a conflict? But here's the thing. Don't be afraid of some pushback. This woman pushed back, not because she was closed, but because she was open. She didn't tell him to get lost. She engages him back in conversation. It was spirited, 
but she does it because she's open. Verse 13, Jesus answered. Here comes the gospel. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you don't have a husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands. The man you have now is not your husband. What you've said is quite true. Jesus opens her eyes to who he really is. Sir, the woman said, I can see you're a prophet. Our ancestors, now she's gone from not just being open to seeking. She's gone from being open to seeking. You can see her journey. She says, sir, I can see you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, Mount Gerizim. But the Jews claim the place you must worship is Jerusalem, Mount Zion. She's asking him, what's the true way to worship? Now, Jesus plays a card here that we don't have in our deck, the omniscience card. He sees her life, he knows her. But here's the thing, folks. The Holy Spirit can guide our conversations if we ask him for help when we share. And so now the woman's seeking. Verse 21, woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you'll worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you don't know. We Jews worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews, yet a time is coming. Jesus predicts Pentecost when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth for they're the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, his worshipers worship in spirit and truth. The woman says, I know that Messiah, the Christ, the Savior is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, am he. Church, do you realize that the first person that Jesus reveals he's the Messiah to is a non-Jewish Samaritan woman in an illicit relationship. She was the least likely in the Jewish mind to be heralded the good news, and she was the first person. It says something about how Christ feels about outsiders, those who are not in the family of God, but who are the lost sheep. He loves them. He pursues them. And to wrap up verse 27, just then his disciples returned. They were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Why are you talking to her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, the disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat you don't know anything about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? Verse 34, my food, Jesus said, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Now, verse 35, this is our theme verse for the day. Don't you have a saying? 
It's still four more months and then the harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the one who reaps draws a wage and the harvesters a crop for eternal life. So the sower and reaper may be glad together. Get the scene. This woman has just been converted. She believes. She runs back to town to a whole village full of unlikely converts and says, come meet this man who could be the savior of the world. And this whole village full of unlikely converts are making their way to Jesus. So the scene is they're at the well and you can look and I like to picture the disciples being able to see the whole town making their way towards them. And Jesus says, you folks have a saying, four more months and then the harvest. It's an agricultural metaphor. It means you work really hard when you plant, you work really hard when you harvest if you're a farmer. But in between the two, you put your feet up and you relax. So right now you don't have to work hard. Four more months and then the harvest. As this group of unlikely converts is coming to meet the Messiah. And he says, open your eyes. The fields are ripe for harvest. See, we don't think that a college campus is ripe for harvest. We don't think our lost family members are ripe for harvest or our co-workers, our neighbors. And we can believe our lack of faithfulness or the words of Jesus. That there are people who may not be seeking truth in church, but they're seeking God. And if we tell them, they're ready to receive. It's beautiful truth and we get to share So to close, I have some practical tips that we share with college students, habits you can incorporate into your everyday life that might help you become a better evangelist. They're things I strive to do but don't do perfectly. So eight practical habits to grow your evangelism. I'll cover them fast. Get ready to write them down. Number one, remember that evangelism is a privilege. We get to share the good news. But one little vow completely changes your mindset. Got to versus get to. See, sometimes we say, I've got to mow my grass. I've got to clean the house. But I get to go out to dinner. Got to versus get to. Sometimes with spiritual things, we say, I get to go to church. I get to worship Almighty God. But I ought to share my faith. I should share my faith. I need to share my faith. When really it's a privilege to be ambassadors of Christ. What if we just shifted our mindset to say, I get to, not I ought to. Number two, walk with Jesus. Walk with Jesus. One of the biggest obstacles the young adults I work with face is insecurity. I am not that kind of person. I can't share my faith. But Jesus in Matthew 4, 19 makes a promise Come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. We tend to focus on the follow Jesus, fishers of men part, but the middle part is what I like. He says, follow me and I will do the work in you. Your job is just to follow me. Surrender to me, seek me, learn my word, be my disciple, follow me and I'll build your boldness. I'll give you the words to say, I'll give you the opportunities. I will make you into fishers of men. David was a UTA student who grew up in Arlington, homeschooled, very sheltered. 
but also had crippling social anxiety. When I met him as a freshman, he was so afraid to meet new people that he couldn't make eye contact and his hands would tremble when he put it, extended it to shake. But he loved Jesus, got involved in a Bible study, made Christian friends, started growing in his faith. And on Fridays, we do a thing where students who want to will go out in pairs and share, uh, start spiritual conversations with people. And one week, David showed up and I thought, oh boy, are you sure about this? But he went because his heart was broken because he loved Jesus. And he didn't talk. He went with somebody who was confident, just watched them. But then the next time he went out, they started the conversation, but he chimed in. The next time they went out, he shared more. By the time he was a sophomore, David was the guy who was taking freshmen out on campus to share the gospel. By the time he graduated, he had led three friends to Christ. Crippling social anxiety, but he followed Jesus and Jesus changed him. He could do that for any of us. Number three, feel the urgency. Every person will die and face one of two eternities. Sometimes in church, sometimes our churches don't preach a lot about eternal destinies. But Jesus taught a lot about eternal destinies. And it's a heartbreaking reality that there's a heaven and a hell. And we should feel it in our soul. Number four, pray every day. Pray every day. What should I pray for? My friend Paul Wooster says we should pray for Bob. Well, who in the world is Bob? Well, Bob's an acronym. Pray for a burden for the lost, opportunity to witness, and boldness to proclaim Christ. What if every day when you spent time reading your Bible, you had a personal devotional time, you included a simple prayer for these three things. God, today, break my heart for the lost. Give me a burden. What if you prayed specifically for three to five non-Christians who are in your life that God would open their eyes and cause them to seek him? Pray every day for a burden. Number two, pray for an opportunity to witness. God, just give me one chance today to share my faith. I want, to be, I want my eyes to be open for one chance to share my faith. Open a door, give me an opportunity, and then give me boldness when the opportunity arises to talk about spiritual things. You know, praying's powerful because prayer works, God answers, but it's also powerful because if I pray for an opportunity, sometimes I'm just more attuned when the opportunity arises. Number five, just be open about your faith. Talk openly about spiritual things. We like to say, fly the Jesus flag early. Sometimes college students, we self-filter. My students will filter and we say, ooh, I don't know, these people aren't Christians, so I don't want to mention that I go to Bible study, that I read my Bible, that I care about Jesus, that these are my priorities and values. And so they'll filter and just never bring that up. And they'll get to know somebody for a year and then at the end of the year, they build up their courage and like, I just wanted to let you know that the most important thing in my life is Jesus. They're like, I've known you for a year and you've never said a word. So just be who you are around people who are saved and not saved. Talk about things that are important to you. My wife, Teresa, when our kids were little, got involved in PTA at the primary school, elementary school. 
And she made friends with these other stay-at-home moms who weren't believers, but she was burdened to share with them, but we, she was afraid to, didn't know how to bring it up. And we had this revelation, what if we just talked around non-Christian friends the way we talk around Christian friends? She said, I, I could, I guess I could do that. And so one day they're standing in front of the school and she just makes a passing comment about reading her Bible that morning. And her friend Lisa, who was a sec- had a secular Jewish background, said, man, I've always wanted to read the Bible. It just seems so mysterious to me. Is that something you could help me with? And Teresa said, I would love to read the Bible with you. And her friend Jennifer, who was standing there, said, me too. I grew up as a Jehovah's Witness. I kind of got burned by it. I'm not, I haven't been in church since I was a little girl. I would kind of be interested in that too. She started a Bible study. Both women, over the course of about a year, met Christ. Because she just was with non-Christian friends how she was with Christian friends. We could do that. Number six, ask questions. Be a doctor of the soul. See, if you went to the doctor and you sat on that awkward vinyl cushion thing with the paper on it, and you're sitting there all by yourself, then the doctor walks in, she's got her clipboard, she doesn't examine you, she doesn't ask where it hurts, she doesn't run a blood test, she just walks in, hands you a pill, and walks out. Never inquires. You wouldn't think they have any, she has any idea what's wrong with you. But if she carefully investigates, you'd feel seen, you'd feel heard, you'd trust her advice. And good evangelism is like that. Have you ever been in public, Sundance Square, somebody tries to evangelize you and they talk and they talk and they talk and you're trying to stop them and say, no, 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 I'm a Christian too. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. But they won't let you get a word in edgewise. 90% of bad interactions with evangelists is because the evangelist isn't listening, curious, and respectful. You know, everybody's favorite topic of conversation is themselves. And if you ask people about their soul, we ask simple questions. Hey, are you religious at all? Is that something you like to talk about? And we're different. We don't force a conversation. We ask permission. Is that something you like to talk about? What's your spiritual background? What was it like for you growing up? What's it like for you now? Hey, what do you think is most important in life? What, what's the most important thing? What's, what, do you value, what, do you, what do you think a person should live for? What do you think happens when we die? What's on the other side? Those are all questions you can ask and explore and understand a person's condition before Almighty God. And they'll feel respected if you ask those kinds of questions. What do you think it takes to get to heaven? Do you feel close to God or far from God? And after a great conversation, sometimes I'll say, hey, can I share something I've learned with you about having a relationship with God? Something that's been helpful for me to have a relationship with God and I share a simple gospel presentation. We could do that. Number seven, share the gospel. This should go without saying, but the gospel's about Jesus. But sometimes we can have a conversation thinking we're pointing people to the gospel and we never mention the name of Jesus. We can talk about religion. You should come to church with me. Church is really good. Church helps, church is very helpful. We can talk about morality. You know, Christianity helped me be a better person. We can talk about our experience. Wow, one time when I was a 
teenager, I went to this camp and they, they preached a message and I walked down the aisle and I prayed the prayer. And we never mention Jesus. See, the gospel is about God Almighty coming to earth to save sinners. We've got to talk about him, that sharing the gospel. Don't talk about denominations, politics, creation and evolution, UFOs. For some reason, student, college student always goes to UFOs on the college campus. Talk about Jesus. Last one, number eight, just do it. I like to call this Nike evangelism. See, we never get comfortable until we get started. Will it be awkward? Yep. Sometimes. Will it fail? Occasionally. But what if you just said, I'm going to take a step this week. I'm going to do one of these things this week. Stu has made it easy for you. Sign up in the lobby. Invite some people to church. Just do it. Joseph is one of my ministry interns at UTA. And he started... Uh, on our staff this December, but Joseph came to Christ in our ministry. He got saved his freshman year of college. His sophomore year, he started sharing his faith more often with friends. He led a friend to Christ about six months after he became a believer. He got involved in uh, our ministry going out in pairs, sharing the gospel on campus. One Friday afternoon, I'm sitting in our ministry center building and Joseph runs in and he's kind of disheveled like his shirt's half untucked. He's out of breath. Oh, Gary, it's terrible. And I'm like, what is it, man? Calm down. Whatever it is, we'll figure it out. And he's like, well, I just shared the gospel with this guy and I did so bad. I messed everything up. It was awkward the way I presented the gospel. It wasn't clear at all. And I'm like, man, it's okay. I'm so sorry. What happened? Did the guy get mad? Was he upset? He's like, no, 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 no. We prayed to receive Christ, but I messed it up so bad. It was like so awkward. Bro, the thing is, those kinds of conversations can feel awkward to us, but awkward conversations can change lives. I hope you'll have some this week. Final exhortation, Southcliff, you can do this. If you know enough to be saved, you know enough to lead somebody to be saved. I pray we'd be a little more burdened a little more resolve to live an outward-focused life this week. C.T. Studd, the British athlete-turned-evangelist, said only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Let's live a life that counts for eternity. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And we thank you that through Jesus, you've provided salvation for us for all eternity. But God, I pray we wouldn't put our light under a bushel, but we'd let it shine. God, this is a church full of saints, filled with your Holy Spirit. God, I'm confident that they could see powerful, powerful things just by having open eyes and willing hearts. May it be so in my life, in all of our lives. In Christ's name we ask it. Amen. Everyone at Southcliff Church, thank you for joining us today. If you would like more information about Southcliff Church, please go to southcliff.com to share a testimony of how God has encouraged you through this ministry. Send an email to scpodcast at southcliff.com. That's scpodcast at southcliff.com. Click the Give button on our webpage to discover how this ministry is supported. 
financial gifts help accomplish the mission God has given us.